This morning we are beginning a new series. It's our core values. So aren't you glad you're here for the first one? Man, yeah, you, you just, you came in the right day. Yeah. You know, we, we just went through our series of soul cravings, talking about the things that we as human beings desire, the things that we crave. And we could almost call this soul environments because what we're trying to do now is see the things that make us a community. Why do we have core values and why do we go through this series once a year? It's to keep focus. It's to keep our goals clear. It's so that we as a community don't divert our direction so that we can accomplish the things that we believe God has put upon us as a faith community to do. You know, there's a lot of things that people do or can do that are good, but not all of them should be done necessarily by everybody. You you guys have known that, where there are people who do things really well, and then there's people who try to do things, but they don't do them so well. And it's almost like it would be better if you just let that go. Let, let someone else do that because you don't do it well. Well, we want to keep in mind the things that we have been called as a community to do. From the very beginning, we have a statement of faith. It's not all the beliefs that we hold to. You can see those online if you want to at the genesisstory.com. But our, our statement of belief is very simple. It's a sentence. It says that we are here to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. We believe that that's what God has imparted to us to do. And so how can we do that? And so for the five weeks of this core values, we're going to be talking about each of these things and why they are part of our community. And everything that we do here at Genesis goes through these core values. You might say, why don't you have this kind of program or why don't you do that? Many times it's because it doesn't fit into the core values that we believe God has called us to fulfill. And so these values are really the character of what Genesis is. And so if you're new to the community, I want you to know who we are. If you aren't sure what our direction is, I want you to know what it is. And so the first one that we're going to start with today is a metaphor that we use wind. E each of these values we have given an, an uh, a metaphor. It's an environment because we believe that that's the community that we've been created in. And wind is basically this, that mission is why the church exists. Now, we have to define the word mission. Mission is a, a purpose, an intention. We are on a mission. We have a purpose, we have an intent, and that is why the church exists. The, the reason we use the metaphor of wind is because we believe that that's something that God has used. When the church was born in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit came like a, a rushing wind, which is really also a, a picture of what took place in Genesis when the Spirit of God moved on the face of the earth and then creation took place. 
The word for wind in both Hebrew and Greek is the same word that's also used for breath, that is also used for spirit. In the Hebrew, it's the word ruach. In the Greek, it's the word pneuma. But they're each using these encompassing spirit, wind, and breath. And whenever we see the Spirit of God in Scripture, we see something happening. We see intention. We see purpose. We see creation. We see a movement take place. And so it seemed that wind was only fitting to be the metaphor for this. Even Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. They are moving. They are active. And we believe that this is necessary for us, that we are to have intention that moves us out. And so we're going to be looking at this and some of the things that that movement looks like. And first I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family how can he take care of the church, God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be con become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. So the idea here is the person who is going to be a part of this leadership, who's going to be a part of directing this movement, this community, these are some of the characteristics. And when, when it uses the word family there, some translations will say household. It's actually the word oikos. It's the same word where we get our translation of ecology. And so the family unit is to have a, a ecological system to it. A, a healthy family is one that everything is working right. The ecosystem is all taking place. And it's to transfer into the spiritual community. Paul says if he doesn't have a good ecosystem in his home, how can he have a good ecosystem in this community? And it's interesting all the things that he lists here to be a part of that, in a sense, ecosystem. Because they're not necessarily all the things that we would see. Who is a person who is going to be a leader? Well, yeah, we need someone who's educated, right? Someone who's able to teach what he does say in verse 2. But he also talks about being temperate, respectable, hospitable. Do you think of hospitable when you think of a good leader? Because that's what Paul says is to be the characteristic. 
They're supposed to be a person who has this kind of temperament so that they can bring this into the bigger community. It's not just about the information. It's not just about giving us a study. It's about creating an environment that we live in that is all these things, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. This is to be the characteristics of a person leading because this is supposed to reflect in that community itself. You see, when you break down the primal essence, spiritual leadership is the ability to establish and grow a healthy community. That's what leadership is about. Growing a community that is overall healthy. We have seen this for too long become a systematic process. Things that you do instead of an environmental process. Instead of it being something what you do, it should be who you are. So uh, a faith community isn't what you do, it is who you are. That's what it's supposed to be. And, and so it's not about, well, we do Bible study, we do street witnessing, we do this. No, it's supposed to be we are people who have within us characteristics that resemble the God who we believe in. That's the healthy system, that's what we are supposed to be as a community. And so try and have in your mindset as we go through these core values, we're not talking about things that we do, we're talking about people that we are. We're talking about the essence that makes us who we are. It's the underlining theme. It's the intention of the motion. It's what drives us. It's what moves us. Because it's important that we don't get lost in the process. That we don't look at the process as the end result. And we miss the whole point, which is this healthy ecosystem that God has called us as his followers to live in, to be, to be healthy in all these ways. So instead of just giving commentary on what the scriptures say, what we're trying to do is gain understanding to the intention of what's being said so that it can be applicable to our lives. We're, I don't want to just give you Greek words that, that tell you insight. I, I want you to hear the heart of what's being written so that it can move us someplace like it was intended. And we don't want to get lost in that. We have seen for too long that it's become a process. The dynamic movement that brings personal transformation and historical change to the world around us is rooted in the simplicity of the right relationships. These relationships begin in a healthy relationship with God that flows naturally into healthy relationships with others. What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? What is it that we need to know more than anything else? 
He didn't give us study, read, pray. He told us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. On this rests all the law. Everything that the law contains is fulfilled in this relational aspect. And so we want to hold that near to our core. We want to keep that in sight as we move forward. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. As we look at verse 16 to what is known as the Great Commission. Jesus says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This was after the resurrection. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I've shared with this, I've shared this with you before. This is the Great Commission and the intention of Jesus right off the bat is to go. But what's interesting is he starts with All authority, this power has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And after the recognition of this power that belongs to him, he looks at his disciples and says, so you go. It's like, wait, you're the one with the power. Why do I have to go? Why don't you just go? But you see, the intention is that you now are taking what I have And you're going to do what I did. Making disciples. Now, let me ask you this. The disciples, when did they believe that Jesus was the Son of God? After resurrection. Peter, we know Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was some place in his ministry. But when they first started following him, did they think this is the Messiah, this is the son of the living God, or did they think he was a rabbi? Most of them thought he was a rabbi. They were following a rabbi. They didn't understand the fullness of who he was, yet they were still disciples. Can you be a disciple and not be a person who believes? The answer is yes. Disciple means learner. He had a lot of disciples, people who were listening to him and were learning from him. And so now you bring into this all those parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a a farmer who went out planting seeds. The kingdom of heaven is like a a woman who, who lost her coin and was sweeping the house to find the kingdom of God. What is he doing? He's trying to teach people who don't know who God is, what God is actually like, because they had in their mind this understanding that was skewed because it was all just about a legal system. 
And it lost the heart of God. And so what Jesus was doing is helping them to see who God really is. He was discipling people who did not know who God was, what God was like, giving them clarity and understanding. When did discipleship become something that was exclusive to those who already knew Jesus? and didn't recognize that it was supposed to be inclusive to those who didn't. So that when we hear the idea of discipleship, well, you go to a discipleship class at church and those who already believe learn how to believe a little bit more clearly. But what we see through Jesus is that discipleship was actually directed even at those who had no understanding and clarity of who God was, that they were called to go to them and give them understanding of who God was, to make disciples. And so Jesus has this power and authority, and he tells us, go and tell those who don't know who I am, who I am. Go and make clear to those who don't know, not just those who do know. And we've become so exclusive with what we hold, where, where the church now becomes a fortress. And if you want to know God, you have to get into our camp. And then we'll teach you. And then we build up walls to try and keep the evil world outside and to keep us inside. And those walls keep having to get higher and higher because the world keeps changing. You know, okay, we, we got to keep people from sinning. So let's build up higher walls. Okay, there's no texting, you know, uh, guys, you can't text women. Okay, used to be, you know, you could talk to them, but now you can't text them. And you can't, you know, you can't go to places where they serve alcohol. Does that mean 7-Eleven? No more Slurpees? What, what's going on here? What? You, you can't, and they keep trying to make things so that you won't fall into sin. And we're tr- trying to, to hold fast our fortress and... What Jesus did was went out. It's that illustration where, you know, if you try and build a fence to keep all the animals in, as soon as there's a weak weak link, they're going to get out. But in Australia or places where the ranches are so vast they cannot build a fence, what they do is they just dig a well and all the animals stay near where the water is. And so I don't have to harp on what you can't do. I don't have to build the fences. I just need to dig the well and say, the kingdom of God is like this. That God loves you so much that there is such refreshment here for your soul. Taste and see the Lord is good. 
And we need to get back to this understanding that disciples are not just people believe. Without realizing it, we've changed the meaning of the word so that they're actually excluding their original intention, their original mission. And that's why words are important. I had a friend who was talking to me and he had a problem with the fact that I don't use some words that people use regularly. Like I don't always use the word church. I use the word community. And he goes, why can't you just use the words we're used to? And I was telling him, you know, I'm trying to bring the original intent to the words. Church has the idea of a building. Community has the idea of people. The church isn't a building, it's the people. You don't go to church, you are the church. Go to the sanctuary. Why don't you say it's the sanctuary? It's not a sanctuary, it's just a room. God is our sanctuary. We don't go to a space, we go to to our God. And so we change these words to try and, and bring an understanding Why don't you call it a service? Because I don't work at a gas station. (laughs) They don't even have those anymore, service stations, for those of you who remember when those were around. It's a gathering where we gather together because I'm not here to just give you something. We are here to become something. And if we lose this vision, if it becomes, well, just the the pastors are anointed, they're the ones who have to lead us, then we've missed the understanding of what it means to be a disciple. There is nothing in Scripture about ordained and non-ordained believers. We are a priesthood of believers. I think it was about five years ago I ordained everybody at the church. Some of you here there... I could do it again because the ordination is given by God to everyone who believes. There is no one who is better than. Oh yeah, we each have different abilities, gifts as it were. But we're all called to go and make disciples. You see, God is always at work. He is the wind of history always at work and Jesus calls disciples to follow him and it requires movement he says that they will be fishers of men they will have purpose they will have intent we are to be a people who are driven just like we're driven by our desires and our cravings we're supposed to be driven by this mission this purpose this intention because all humanity is driven. Any of you have a, a smartphone? Anyone? Do you know that that wasn't an accident? That someone actually had to plan what a smartphone was? They didn't just all of a sudden one day go, hey, look at this phone's pretty smart. <laughs> they had to think, you know what? I want to make a phone that is able to not only text, but is able to go online, to download, able to have apps, able to connect to calendars, connect to emails, able to post pictures to your Facebook or Instagram or tweet messages. 
all those things were put there with intention. And you think about it, about 10 years ago, most people didn't have the smartphones, or a lot of people didn't. It was just Blackberry. Where are they? They didn't have enough intention is what they had. You see, what happened is someone had a mission. I'm going to to make this phone. Steve Jobs had had a mission. I'm going to make a phone that has a touch screen. Most smartphones, not all of them now, have touch screens. Why? Because he had an intention. He put it into practice and it became something that now is dominating the world. We are people of intention. We are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all the things that Jesus has proclaimed. That's our intention. And if we don't have it in mind to do this, it won't get done. If Steve Jobs didn't say, you know what, hold hold this phone, don't produce it yet, I want to make it touchscreen. Even though it was ready to come out, they stopped the production of the iPhone so that they could make it a touchscreen. And it changed everything. Because he had intention. If you don't think of this mission you're on as something that's purposeful, then it will go nowhere. You'll have no wind in your sails. But those who are moved by God have this purpose, have this intention, have this understanding. Turn with me to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. Again, After the resurrection, Jesus says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the door locked for fear of the the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins will be forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is where it's believed that disciples actually became what we would call born again, where they became filled with the Spirit, where the Spirit of God now indwelt them, where where the church actually was born and Pentecost was, uh, again, an overwhelming or overflowing uh, of that presence of God. But the Spirit of God here was in them. When Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, it's an aorist imperative. It's a completed process. It means it, it's done now. And, and he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. The intention. As the Father is sending me, so I'm sending you. From the Spirit moving on the waters in Genesis to the Spirit now being breathed in them, we we see that God is now moving us just like He moved His Son, Jesus. 
Where was Jesus sent? To who was Jesus sent? It was to the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And as Jesus was sent, he is sending those who are his followers. You see, as we become aware of who God is and our disciples learning of God, we see the clarity of God revealed completely in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and so becoming now a follower of Christ gives us a, a closer relationship with God. Now the Spirit of God is able to indwell us because of what Jesus has done. And now the mission of Jesus becomes our mission as well. As Christ is, so are we in this world. We are to be doing the work of God. All authority in heaven and earth has been giving, given to me. Now go. Why? Because you are my mission. The church is God's intention for the world. Those who follow Jesus are God's intention for the world. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a person who is on mission. You are a person who is given to God. You are to be his witnesses. That you is plural. It means all of us. You see, God builds a community that who are to fulfill his purpose. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How, how is that will going to be accomplished? It's going to be accomplished through his people. How is God going to do a work? It's going to be done through his people. We are the body of Christ, Scripture tells us. Think of that. We are the body, the enablement of Jesus. Now, if all authority belongs to him and we are his body, shouldn't we be doing something? Shouldn't we understand our position we're going to bring God's ecology to this world as it is in heaven that's what our job is here what we know to be true in heaven we are going to put into practice here on earth you see the world looks different when you understand who you are when you recognize that you are indeed the body of Christ, when you realize that all authority has been given to him, but now he is commissioning me to go, he has given me purpose. When you are driven by the wind of God, everything looks different. It's not, okay, I'm here in, in this life, and God, what do you have for me? God is looking at you and saying, what do you have for me? You are my intention for this world. What are we doing today? Because all authority is given to me and I'm telling you to go. And so God so often is looking at us and saying, what are we doing today? 
What is our mission? What is our intention? And when you realize this, God's wind is able to blow you to places that you never imagined, blow you into the lives of people that you never thought, and open opportunities for you to make disciples where you can instruct people. I remember walking with some friends. It was in Swansea, Wales. We took a group over there and we're there walking through the streets and as we're going to this one meeting center, we stopped and saw these people and it's great when you're, you know, in another country because you're a foreigner and you have an accent. I never knew I had an accent, you know, and you find out that you're loud because Americans are really loud apparently and some people come up to you and go, oh, are you America? Oh, there's something happening. And and so I remember starting this conversation and I was talking to this group of people and telling them, do do you know how much God cares for you? And they were, oh, you know, I don't believe in God. I I don't have, you know, I don't care about those things. And I said, well, what would you do if you knew that God cared about you so much and loved you so much that he would send me all the way from California just to talk to you and to tell you that God cares about you, that he would send someone here just to give you this understanding because he wants you to know this very specifically. I'm not going to get electrocuted or anything. (laughs) And I remember one of the girl's eyes just swelling up with tears. Because the reality that God would send someone here just to talk to me was overwhelming for her. But that's exactly what had happened. All power authority is mine. Go. And then you go and then you have a conversation and someone is moved because you are discipling them, helping them to see how much God cares and loves them. And it overwhelms them. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And their eyes are open and they see God as someone who is not distant, unknowable, but someone who is personal and actually tangible in the person of Jesus. God made flesh. And that is our mission. That is our discipleship. The apostles developed this environment in which all of God's people are guided by God's Spirit, guided by the wind. And if all are not apostles, at least all are together on this apostolic mission. And so at Genesis we say it like this, mission is why the church exists. It is our purpose. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. You are to have intention. And so what we do keeps this in mind. The events and things that we have are keeping in mind we are here to reach out. 
And so we're very resistant to things that all are all about us. Well, do you have a fellowship for this? And do you have a fellowship for that? And do you have a fellowship for this? Well, no. But we do have this event that tries to reach out. And so the women have a word indeed where they get together and they'll go through the scriptures, but then they also go out to the community. Why? Because mission is why the church exists. We, we do have grassroots, uh, a night of spoken word poetry and open microphones. Why? Because we're trying to get a, a relationship with our community and trying to involve ourselves with them. The quarter notes for the young children, it's not just about having a place nice and safe for our kids. Yeah, we want that, but we also want it to be inclusive to those around. We're, we're trying to create this ecological system, this environment that is on mission, that has intention to reach the world around us. Because if we think everyone is just going to come to us, then we're not really doing what Jesus said when he said to go. He didn't say all power and authority is given to me, therefore sit in your building and ask them to come. He said to go. And so we reach out not just to Mexico, which we do, not just to Haiti, which we do, we, we've built the cafeteria and we're again planning to, to develop a, a way to actually have a food program for the kids at that school. And we'll be telling you more about that. Those are all things that we want to do that are part of this core value. Realizing that we're here to infect with this good infection of who Jesus is the world around us. You ever sit next to someone on a plane and they're sick? And you're like, oh. Ah, you're just fine. Ah. It's like, oh, I'm going to get sick Why they're sneezing. And you see the spray. <laughs> and it like gets on your arm and you're like, ah. It's like, I don't want to be infected. Well, we're to be that infection to the world around us. Because how will they hear unless someone is sent? Well, who, who are the ones? We are the ones. Well, I, I, I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to do... You don't have to preach. You have to be. That's what I was saying at the beginning. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. You carry with you the wind of God and the changed life is able to change lives. And so we never want to lose this focus. We never want to be about us. We are always going to be leaning out, always posturing ourselves to see how God can send us. So this is the beginning of our core values. Next week we're going to be talking about love is why, or the context of all mission. And the metaphor is water, something that is to quench the world around us. 
realize that you are now the wind of God. He has breathed on you. You've been filled with His Spirit. And He tells you and me to go and make disciples of all nations. You can tell your neighbor across the street, your coworker, friends at school, who God is. You can give them understanding of who God is. You can make disciples right where you're at just by who you are. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would not only grasp hold of the responsibility, but we'd take hold of the authority that you have given not that we have the power to forgive sins or or not, but Lord, we have this powerful message, that this truth that changes lives. We we have the Spirit of God that that brought about creation, that brought about the birth of the church. Paul tells us that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is able to bring life to our bodies. Lord, this is who we are. This is what we hold. And God forbid that we would not go with this authority and this power. Lord, that we would not go with the love that comes from who you are. And so, Father, I pray for everyone who is here, who is a part of Genesis, and if those who are visiting, Lord, who are followers of you, may we grasp hold of your intent for your people. May we lean into this understanding. May we posture our lives to, to go out, break down the walls that have been a fortress trying to protect us. And Lord, may we be unleashed to this world. And I pray, Father, that you would fill everyone here with your Spirit. Empower us to be a living example. And if there is anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, God, I pray, Father, that you would continue to reveal yourself to them. Whether they realize it or not, maybe they're, they're disciples. They're learning about you even this morning. And you're speaking to them even now. But God, may we not sit still. May we not hide this light that you have given us. May we be moved wherever your spirit would blow us. May your wind fill our souls and our sails. And may we fulfill what is a great commission to go and make disciples. Thank you for this time, Lord. I ask your continued blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.